e pluribus unum, is one of the traditional mottos of the United States of America. The Latin phrase means, out of many, one. E pluribus unum appears on the great seal of the United States, approved by an act of Congress in 1782. Originally, it was meant to show that from the 13 original colonies and people from six countries in Europe emerged one unified nation. Since then, America has become more and more of a melting pot for many of the world's people, more so than any other nation on earth. Perhaps the only group of people which is more diverse than the people that make up this great nation are the people groups who make up the universal body of Christ, the church. Today we're beginning a study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this letter deals more comprehensively with the church than any other book in the New Testament. Paul calls the church a mystery because it is so hard to conceive how God in and through Jesus Christ could create one body the church to form a new people of God in which both Jews and Gentiles and people groups today from all over the world are united so as we study this letter together we'll make some discoveries about God's plan for the church for you and your life, and even for the entire universe. Back in Paul's day, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was located on the coast of the Aegean Sea in what today is western Turkey. Paul wrote the letter from a Roman prison, and so it is included as one of Paul's prison epistles. It was written, we believe, about the year 61 AD, about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, Paul had first visited Ephesus around the year AD 53, and he began preaching the gospel there. And Paul's sharing of the gospel took root, and it began to just spread. Paul spent two years in Ephesus organizing the church and teaching the people the faith. And then finally, after that time, he left for Macedonia to continue preaching. The letter to the Ephesians is divided into two basic sections, chapters 1 through 3 and then chapters 4 through 6. And in chapters 1 through 3, Paul explains some key theological concepts about Christ and the church. He addresses salvation by grace through faith. He addresses Jesus' power and authority and the importance of unity. And then there seems to be a bit of a shift. In chapters 4 through 6, there's a different feeling. Paul tells us how to live the Christian life and what we as the church and as individuals are to do in light of who God is. Now the main theme of Ephesians throughout the book is the person of Christ and and how that relates to the church, how it forms the church. That the church is God's creation. It is God's plan to change the world. 
when we work together with unity of purpose, God uses us. The power of God is upon us. The good news is taught and the people are saved and grow in Christ Jesus. When we are all in one accord and we're focused on God's purposes and plans for our life and for the church, then unity isn't just possible, it's an absolute certainty. While God's purpose and plan for each person's life is going to be different, God brings us together so that he can accomplish his overall purpose and plan in the world. Paul tells us that the church, in the relationships we have, first with God and then with other people, is not only where we learn to be fully devoted followers of Christ, but it's also where we learn to do very practical things like be better parents. It's where we learn to be a better spouse to our, to our husband or our wife. It's where we learn to be satisfied with our jobs. The Christian life is not just about believing, it's also about belonging. Paul begins by reminding the Ephesians of all of the blessings that come from their relationship with Christ. You'll notice a lot of enthusiasm on Paul's part in these opening verses of, of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Let's hear from God's word now. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Well, the first thing Paul mentions after a word of praise to the Father is that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The Greek word that Paul uses here for blessing is eulogy. 
That word is familiar to all of us. It means a good word or to speak well of someone. What it means is that God has spoken a good word over us. And then in the following verses, Paul lists what those blessings are. And I want to talk about those together with you today so that we know what those blessings are, what, what bless so you know what blessings are yours. It's important for us to know, don't you think, what our blessings are? We need to know what our inheritance is as believers in Christ Jesus. Imagine what a shame it would be for us to go through our entire Christian life and not know what spiritual blessings our Heavenly Father has given to us as a child of God. There's a lot of blessing that comes with it. So what are our blessings that we receive by being God's son or God's daughter? Well, the first one is this. We are chosen. Verse 4 says, we are, we are chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Did you hear that? God chose you. God had you in mind before he even created the world. And God created you in his image. You are no accident. You are not a random mutation. The Bible teaches very clearly that God has made everything with a purpose. Proverbs 16, verse 4 says, The Lord has made everything for his own purpose. Everything. There's not one single thing that you can see that God created where he might say, Wow, I didn't have a purpose for that. I'm not sure what happened there. No. God had a purpose for everything. There's a purpose in everything that God's created, which means that if you are alive, if your heart is beating, if you're breathing, you are no accident. Regardless of the circumstances of your birth, you are not an accident. Now, your parents may not have planned you, but God absolutely planned you. If you are alive, he has chosen you for a purpose and there, there is a reason for your existence. You are not an accident. A lot of people, though, limp through life day after day, week after week, the same thing. They drift. They might feel a bit like Job did in the Old Testament where he says, my life drags by day after hopeless day. I'm tired of living. My life makes no sense. So how do you get motivated in life? Well, it's simple. You have to discover your purpose in life. And when you do that, it motivates you to get out of bed in the morning. You have a different attitude when you get up. When you wake up in the morning, you can either say, Good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning. You want to do the former, not the latter. And part of that difference is because you have purpose. So ask yourself, do you have a purpose in life? You see, the secret of energy and enthusiasm and motivation is to discover your life's purpose. Why? Because having the purpose gives you hope. And everybody needs hope to keep going. The Bible says this in the book of Jeremiah. He says, God says, the plans I have for you, says the Lord, are plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. 
So you see, you have to have hope to cope. That's where you get enthusiasm. That's where you discover why God put you on this earth. Your motivation level is going to go up dramatically when you discover what that is. And you were designed by God to love and to be loved. And to be in an intimate relationship with God. To know God. To worship God. And to do God's will. But there's more. There's more than that. The second thing is this. Paul tells us that we are adopted. Verse 5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will. So you see, not only has God chosen us to be made holy, but he also grants us full status as his children with every benefit that comes with it. John 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we believe the gospel we receive full access to the Father, and we are able to call out to him as his children. Notice that when he chose us in accordance with his pleasure and will, God has adopted you and me into his family because, get this, it makes God happy. Isn't that amazing? He has adopted us because it makes him happy, because God wanted to. I mean, sometimes we think of God as this grumpy old cosmic force, a, an old man up in heaven or something that's ready to jump on us when we, whenever we do something wrong. But that's not true at all. Paul blows that idea out of the water when he writes these words in Ephesians. Now, I know a lot of us have our identity all wrapped up in what we do, not who we are intrinsically. But if that's the mindset that you have, then who are you when you retire? Who are you if you've been a successful business all person all your life and then your business goes under or your company decides to downsize you right out the door? I mean, do you go from being somebody to nobody then? Your identity can't hinge on the business climate in the world. Or, or think about this, what if your identity has always been in being a parent and then your children all grow up and the last one leaves home? Who are you then? But Paul says here that if you have come to know Jesus, your identity is the fact that God has adopted you into his family. Think back along your life. Were you ever dumped by someone? I know I was. Dumped by a girlfriend or a boyfriend, maybe even a spouse. Dumped by a friend who shut you out and didn't want to be your friend anymore. Dumped by a company who didn't need you anymore. Do you know what it's like to be rejected like that? Paul is saying this to you. You belong. You're not rejected. You belong. God has adopted you, and you are one of God's very own children. God in Christ became one of us. He paid the price of suffering and death in order to adopt us. 
and all we have to do to enjoy the gift of this parentage, to become heirs of eternal life, is to become like children and just receive the gift of adoption that God wants to give to us. You see, we join the family of God through adoption, and baptism is that passageway into the family. We don't earn it, we don't merit it, we receive it. You see, salvation is not for good people. It's not. It's for redeemed people. And God does all the work. There's a reason why Christians use the term having a relationship with God. Because there is something about being the precious, prized daughter or son of God. You see, your most defining moments in life are not through what happened to you, but what God has done for you. Well, there's a third blessing that Paul tells us about, and that is this, it's redemption. In verse 7, we are told, we have redemption through the blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So what does Paul mean by the word redemption? Well, redemption speaks about buying one's freedom, like out of slavery, or paying back a ransom. The price for your sins, the payment to buy us back from slavery, was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to know that Jesus paid for us. When Paul uses the term, in him we have redemption through his blood, he's saying... The adoption program that God uses wasn't money. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was paying the adoption cost to bring our souls to God. We have been redeemed. Someone else picked up the bill for you, for me, and that's what happened on the cross. Someone else picked up the bill a bill that I could never afford to pay, that you could never afford to pay. And the one who picked up that bill is named Jesus. Christianity is not about doing enough for God so that he finally likes you. Absolutely not. God buys us. He redeems us through the blood shed by him on the cross. Finally, in verse 13, Paul writes, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, the seal is a mark of ownership, isn't it? In the old days, you would make a seal with melted wax into which you would press your family ring or your family crest. And then when that wax dried, it would make a seal, and the seal marked the ownership of that document or that letter. The Holy Spirit testifies that we belong to Christ. Paul makes that clear to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, where he writes, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, 
the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who whispers to us, you are mine. When you're watching a beautiful sunset and something stirs in you and you know it was God who made this beauty before you and you hear him whisper, you are mine. Or when your life doesn't go as planned and you are confused and you are frustrated and the way forward seems to be ambiguous, yet you hear God whisper to you, you are mine. Or when you lay the one you love in the ground, in the grave, and you are crushed and broken, and yet through your tears you hear God whisper, you are mine. But my friends, there's even more. Not only does the Holy Spirit remind us that we are his, but the Holy Spirit is also the pledge of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit serves to remind us that not only are there blessings in Christ now, but there are more blessings yet to come. We are at the center of God's cosmic design because we belong to the risen Christ who is exalted above all the heavenlies. In verse 15 and then following, Paul moves from praise to all these blessings to a prayer for the Christians at Ephesus. And I would add a prayer for us too. Let's listen to that prayer beginning in verse 15. He writes, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, Paul wants us to have wisdom and revelation, to know the hope we have, our inheritance, and his incomparably great power. And he wants us to know that this power that is ours is the same power that raised Christ from the grave and seated Christ in the heavenly far above all others. Remember that after his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus reminded his disciples several times that the mission was for them to pick up and to carry the gospel of Jesus to Jerusalem, to Judea, 
to Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And then he warned them not to start, not to embark on this mission until they were first clothed with power from on high. And so the disciples waited until the day of Pentecost, and then the Holy Spirit was released upon them. And Peter got up before a crowd of thousands of people, and he preached his first sermon, and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ Jesus, and the church was born. And from there, things took off and began to happen. In chapter 3, Peter and John heal a lame man. In chapter 5, Luke records the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. You see, the church picked up where Jesus left off, and they carried on the same ministry that Jesus had when he walked upon the earth. We have been given this same power and authority that Jesus had. As the Father sent the Son into the world, the Son sends us into the world. The power that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside you and me, and Paul wants you and me to know that. You see, it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power for real life change. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us, that convicts us of sin in our lives, who guides us into all truth, who brings forth the fruit of the Spirit in us and manifests the gifts of the Spirit through us, his body, the church. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us power to be witnesses for Christ, even in the face of opposition. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us joy. It is the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. And all of us have this power. But not all of us use it. Why is that? You see, J Jesus sends out the twelve before they go. Luke says that he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure disease, and to proclaim the gospel, and to heal the sick. And not long after that, Jesus is on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured, and all of a sudden there is Moses and Elijah, long since dead, but they appear and they talk with Jesus. And when they come down from the mountain, a man comes up to Jesus and he asks him to heal his son who has seizures, that seemed to be connected to the presence of an evil spirit. This man had asked the disciples to heal his son, but they couldn't do it. And so Jesus heals the boy, and then later the disciples come to Jesus in private, and they ask him, why couldn't we drive out that demon? And Jesus replies with a stinging rebuke, because you have so little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You see, our faith grows as we come to know Christ better and better. It's the second half of the gospel. We need to know his word so we can know him. We need to pray for wisdom and revelation we need to align our life with Christ. And as we grow in faith, it will release that power and that authority in us. My friends, God wants us to grow in our faith so that we can help others, so that we can be used in greater and greater ways 
for him and for his kingdom. So are you ready to take the next step? To find what your purpose is in the church and in the world? What step do you need to take? Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks that you have called us, adopted us, redeemed us, claimed us, paid the price for us, and that we are your plan to change the world. The church of Jesus Christ is your plan to redeem the world. Lord, help each and every one of us to discover our unique purpose in this world and in the church. For without us, Lord, your church is not complete. Once we discover our purpose, help us to live that out um, here, locally, and around the world, Lord. Until that day when your church on earth becomes the church in heaven and the two are united in one. We wait for that day and long for that day. Show us your purpose for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.